Welcome to a day of prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Together, let's engage in relationship with Christ through prayer and His Word. So I'll just come together for a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are God, you are holy, and you are awesome. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us Mm. always in this moment. Thank you, Lord. To teach us to share more in our lives about you, who you are, your nature, your character. Thank you, Lord. And help us become more like you. Lord, I ask you for a healing in the body and minds of your people and a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit in their lives for anointing and power in their lives. But above all, too, that you would open the eyes of our heart that we may uh, be enlightened but have an understanding or revelation of knowledge or insight that, or ultimately know your will, what it is, and the acknowledgement that you have given us the ability to do it, to Mm -hmm. accomplish all that you have planned and purpose for us to do, and ultimately do what is pleasing in your sight. Yes, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you, knowing that we can do nothing of our own, but only as you work in and through us. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Yes, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, so on our last podcast, we established the authority of God's word, and we saw that God is carrying out his plan throughout creation, not anyone else. We are here to do his will, not the other way around. So today we're going to discuss understanding the will of the Lord. Three to four years ago, I had two dreams from the Lord. In the first dream, I was walking through the interior of a cruise ship with a dear friend of mine. We came to a table that had beautiful foods and just different things on the table. And everyone was dressed beautifully, including even the lights. They were warm and beautiful and they sparkled like nothing else I'd ever seen before. The people even sparkled. Everything was just beyond what I had even ever imagined would be found on a cruise ship. There were round tables and people seated at them. The people were happy and enjoying and celebrating. There was a short walkway that led to a room with two doors that were closed. But somehow I could see through the doors and there was another party going on inside the room. But it was private. It was even larger and greater than the celebration going on outside of that room. The room was, the interior room was expansive. There were levels filled with other people and they were all sitting at tables. The lights were even more bright and more beautiful than the ones outside and everything sparkled more than it did outside the room. And I had this feeling like I just had to get inside that room. It was the captain's party. My desire to get in that room became so great that I 
was ready to do anything that I needed to, that I could, to get in that room and meet the captain and to see if I could find a seat there. And the second dream, I was walking in something like a grand symphony hall. The lights in the house or like over where the audience would be seated, they were off, they were all dimmed, and there was light on the stage and it was just kind of a warm glowing light, but it was beautiful. And it let me know, like, I didn't know what was going to happen there, but by the way things looked, I knew something special was going to be happening there soon or, you know, sometime later on. And it just so happened that I was there before anybody else. The only other people there were the ones that were like kind of sweeping the floor or working on uh, preparing things for the show or what whatever was going to be going on later. I walked around and I looked over where the orchestra was going to be. And I looked around at the seating to find, you know, the best seating. And all the seats were covered with this red, plush, cushiony, velvet-looking fabric. And they just kept going up in rows, like ascending up toward the ceiling, if, you know, kind of how it looks in a stadium. And I remember being excited and thinking that I can have any seat that I wanted because I was there before anybody else. And I kind of looked and planned and thought about just where I might want to sit. And I knew that whatever was going to happen there, I wanted to be a part of it. And I decided to wait for two of my, my really dear friends. And I went outside to meet them. And I was standing outside, completely outside the, bu- the building and looking in the parking lots. The lights were even still off in the parking lot. And slowly people started to arrive. And I continued to wait for my friends because I wanted us to all sit together. But finally, it came to a point that I had to go back inside because I might miss my seat. So I quickly went back into the building. And when I got inside, like what would be like the foyer area when you come into a big theater or orchestra hall or anything like that, all the doors leading down into the auditorium were closed. They were sealed and guarded by two men who looked like bellhops or like old movie theater attendants. They had on red suits with gold buttons and the little hat. (laughs) I'm not even sure what they're called, but I, and I could just barely see through the cracks of the door and I could see the beautiful lights had come up. It was so bright and I could hear the sound of the audience, like the expectation and excitement that they had for whatever was going on in there. I still didn't even know what it was. And I begged them in and pleaded with them to please let me in. I told them, I explained, I said, I was here earlier. You saw me. And I reminded them of that, but it didn't matter. They told me I couldn't come in. And one of the men just pointed and directed me to an overflow room. And I, I was so sad and heartbroken because I wasn't inside that room where I really wanted to be. And so I went to the overflow room and It was nothing like the auditorium where the main event was happening. The walls were dingy and white and there was nothing on them. There were rows and rows of the brown metal seats that that are fold-out chairs and they didn't even have the cushions on them. (laughs) There was an old box TV held up in the corner of like one corner of the room and it was really small. It was so small that... Everybody in the room wouldn't even be able to clearly see what was on the TV. And I remember looking at the floor. It was the white P 
peel and stick tiles that you see in a grocery store. Like they're just very plain, right over concrete, nothing special about it. And I remember sitting in my seat and I didn't want to be there, but it was better than nothing. So I I finally got a seat because people were filling that room up as well. And I didn't want to miss what was going on. When I woke up, I had such a pain and like a longing sensation and sorrow on the inside of me just because of the dream that I had just had. And my heart ached and I, I can't even describe it to you how I felt, but those dreams changed me. And there were many messages for me from the Lord in those dreams, but among them was that there's a such thing as God's perfect will. And that perfect will is equal to his best. And that God's best was not what I thought it was, what I had imagined or contemplated it being in my Christian walk, because at this point I had been saved for several years. It was something totally unexpected and that his perfect will was something that I could not live without. So he took me through the dreams and explained himself to me through what he had showed me. He also let me know that to understand him, We have to come up to his kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. So last week we started talking about God's perspective, being seated in heavenly places and looking at things um, from the way he looks at them. Today, we are going to talk about his motives. What is his target? What is he after? Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Why he's doing the things he's doing? And here it is in a nutshell. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 through 24. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Paul states it right there, verse 24. Then comes the end, when he, that is Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and he abolished, has abolished all rule and all authority and power. That's it. Just simply put in a nutshell. We learned last week that God declares the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10. So knowing this, let's go to the end and walk through what the Lord is talking about so that way we can understand what he wants. It's important to know that God is serious about what he is accomplishing and what he's after, what his focus and target is. We know this because we can find the very same string of thought throughout the span of the scriptures from the end to the beginning. Let's look at Revelation 21. We're going to start with verses 2 through 3. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And let's pick up in verses 5 through 8 of the same chapter. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of the life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, there's two key phrases that I want you to pick up on. I want it to be known in your hearing, and that is verse 3, Revelations 21, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, let's look at verse 7 of the same chapter. We're looking for key words again, remember. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Mm -hmm. So now let's go back to the beginning because God declares the end from the beginning. Let's follow his his track and his pattern and let's look at Genesis. Okay, we'll begin with Genesis 2, verses 22 through 25. Said the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Amen. Now if we go to Genesis 3, 7-11, through 11, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. This is after they had eaten of the fruit. Uh, the forbidden fruit. He says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself, and he, that is God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So in looking at these Genesis and these couple sections of Scripture, there's, two again, two key things we want to point out. And the first is in chapter 2, verse 25, where it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, Genesis 3, we'll focus on verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Mm-hmm. And as we, we focus on those, because we need to understand the relationship that God and Adam had. God was their God. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve were his people. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. absolutely nothing between them that separated each one of them, Adam or Eve, or in this case, mm-hmm. Adam and woman, mm-hmm. from each other mm-hmm. and from God. Even mm-hmm. clothes, in the grand scheme of things, they were not ashamed. Mm-hmm. They were walking together. 
mm-hmm. each one of them, Adam and woman, walking together in a close, personal, and intimate relation- relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Which, when we really look at that or consider that, it looks and sounds a whole lot like what was stated in Revelation 22. Or 21, excuse 21. me. Mm-hmm. Well, which we had previously read. Mm-hmm. But in that, we can also focus on verses 2 through 4. Right? I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. Mm-hmm. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Mm-hmm. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Mm-hmm. The first things have passed away. Well, we can also look at verses 25 and 27. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, mm-hmm. his gates will never be closed. C- closed, yes. Mm-hmm. And in verse 27, and nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. So we can see that these reflect one another and go together because what God created in the beginning, we know that he reflected on it and said, it is good. So he created the dynamic that he initially wanted and desired between Adam and himself and woman and himself. But then after the fall, there became the separation, which made them want to hide from God. But it it tore their relationship apart. But it never changed the fact that God always wanted to dwell among them. Because that's why they walked together in the cool of the day. Because that's always what God intended, was to walk and be one with his people and his people to be one with him yes. as well. Him being their God and they being his people. Mm-hmm. But let's then, stop, stop there. Let's keep walking through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. If you good, please turn with us to Genesis 17, 6 through 8, where it says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Pay atten- particular attention to verse 7. Mm-hmm. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Mm-hmm. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Let's go to Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Again, verse 7. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a, pos- for a possession. Mm-hmm. I am the Lord. How about Leviticus? Chapter 26, verses 3 through 12. And pay particular attention to verses 11 and 12, though. But verse 3 begins, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. 
I will also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. Mm -hmm. I shall also Mm -hmm. eliminate harmful beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Mm -hmm. But if you, but you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Mm -hmm. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will confirm my covenant with you. Mm -hmm. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Here it is, starting in verse 11. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Amen. How about Ezekiel? Which, when we pay particular attention to this, because we also see this referenced in in Joel, Mm -hmm. and Peter in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. But this is Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. It says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now how about Jeremiah? 11, verses 3 through 4. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice. And do according to all which I command you. So you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And we see it also mentioned in Jeremiah 7, 22 and 24. Through 24, excuse me. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, and in the stubbornness of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Now let's go to Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Mm -hmm. If if you're paying attention and following along all these scriptures, we've covered the garden. Mm -hmm. We've covered covered the uh, covenant made with Abraham. Mm -hmm. We've covered what the Lord says in the law or the Torah or the Pentateuch. We've covered the prophets. Mm -hmm. There's been the New Testament and Revelation or the end. And now there, these are just a few. There are many more scriptures than these. Mm -hmm. Because why? By two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Amen? Amen. But we see this common thread. This is the plumb line, if you will, throughout the entirety of the Bible. I will be your God, Mm -hmm. 
and you will be my people. Mm -hmm. He, the Lord, says it multiple times and in various ways so that we will understand what he is pursuing. Mm -hmm. Which, when we really look at what that is, it's the restoration of his heavenly community. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he, that is Jesus, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's keep going because we must talk about the Lamb's bride. And to understand this, we have to go back and look at Genesis 2, 22 through 25. But let's focus on verse 24 for a moment, all right? It says, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, as we focus on this, there is one question that we must ask ourselves. And that question is this. What mother did Adam have to speak of? He had none. He was created a full-grown man with only God as his father. This statement is prophetic, not of what would happen to people when they get married, because we know that that doesn't always remain. But he's talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. The first Adam prophesied about the last Adam, who Christ is referred to as in the New Testament, how he would leave his father, which is God the Father, and his abode, which mothers are representative of our comfort and of home. And Jesus left his heavenly abode to cleave to his wife, the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, many people argue about which is the lamb's bride. Is it the church or the body of Christ or the new Jerusalem? Well, the lamb's bride is the heavenly community, which consists of both the place, the new Jerusalem and its people. Mm -hmm. Because after all, what is a city without its people? (laughs) Right? (laughs) The heavenly community is what the Lord Jesus will present back to the father without spot or wrinkle where nothing shall enter it again that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelations 21, verse 27. A place and its people without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Now we're we're going to turn over to Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Jesus does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and to and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. 
These verses confirm that Adam was speaking prophetically about our Lord and Savior. Verses 26 and 27 clarify right there. We know that no one was purified through the first Adam. On the contrary, all fell into sin because of him. So verse 32, the great mystery that Paul is speaking about is that of Christ and the purified heavenly community that he will present back to the Father that we read about in um, the previous verses. All right, now let's do a, a slight recap concerning about the will of the Lord. And while reflecting on my observations, experiences, as it pertains to conversations on the will of the Lord, there's two typical perspectives that have stuck out in my mind. And, and the first is a statement that at least I, I can't speak for everyone, have, have heard all too often. And it's a statement, if it be your will, O Lord, or O Lord, if it be your will. And it's usually uttered during prayer. And the second has come in the form of teaching or discussion about the will of the Lord. However, the teaching or the conversation ends up being about specific topics like the Lord's will for salvation or for healing or for unity or for love or for the spiritual gifts or spiritual warfare, mm -hmm. etc. Right, But only the Lord's will as it pertains to those topics. And yes, it's a good start, the teaching aspect. But it has the potential to lead to confusion about what the Lord's will actually is, which results in going back to the first point, which makes the statement or from prayers, Lord, if it be your will, why those are prayed? Because there is confusion and a lack of understanding that comes as a result. And you have to understand, in order to rightly apply those things, why God is willing to heal you. This is why he's willing to set you free and deliver you, because he is restoring the heavenly community, because he is presenting his bride, which is the church and the heavenly, the new Jerusalem, together, cleansed and purified, back to the Father. Absolutely. Without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Amen. So we should know what the will of the Lord is, what the actual will of the Lord is. And I'll go a step further and state that we, I, you, me, us, those who are Christians or believers know the will of the Lord because he repeatedly states this truth throughout all of scripture. Mm -hmm. I will be your God and you will be my people. Mm -hmm. The will of the Lord is the plumb line Amen. Which extends from Revelation to Genesis. Amen. It's so simple. It's so simple. And if we look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, right? But if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, the entirety of the chapter, we have the Apostle Paul setting the foundation and structure of the body of Christ. He gives us this macro view or big picture perspective of the will of the Lord before going into the details throughout the rest of the letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, specifically mentions the will of the Lord four times. And I'll give them to you. The first is in verse 1, where he states, 
the will of the of God as his reason or as the reason for his position in the body of Christ as an apostle, as in verse 1. The second is in verse 5. Paul is telling us, it was the will of the Lord that predestined us to adoption as sons Mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And the third and fourth ones are located in verses 9 and 11, which if we can all turn there, I will read verses 9 through 12. And it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, Mm -hmm. according to the kind intention, to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him. Also, we have obtained and we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will mm-hmm. to that end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory amen so in this selection of scripture Paul captures the entirety of the will of the Lord and is explaining it to the church at Ephesus. In in all actuality, he has explained the will of the Lord in the first 17 verses of chapter 1, specifically verses 3 through 17. And he uses those verses, 3 through 17, as the framework to build the body of Christ. And yes, I say it's the framework Because the foundation that's being built on is Christ. Mm -hmm. In effect, Paul is establishing the framework, the structure, as a wise master builder for the body of Christ to be built up. This is why Paul prays the apostolic prayer beginning in verse 18. That the Lord will open the eyes of their hearts. It is so they would be able to understand the overview of, of the Lord's will that was just provided. Because, this is crucial, this must be understood before we can move forward in or carry out the details of aspects of the Lord's will. The love, the grace, the faith, the salvation, unity, spiritual gifts, Christian conduct, spiritual warfare, etc. And those things Paul continues to instruct us concerning and the church of Ephesus, with the rest of the book of Ephesians. But if we see this same thread, the the will of the Lord in all of Paul's writing, throughout all of his letters to all the churches throughout the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But in closing, I want to say, it is not about us. That's the other thing we can get from Ephesians chapter 1. It's not about us, but it's all about him. His goal and his objective. It is all about the Lord and about what he is doing. We must grasp this so we can come into alignment with all that he is accomplishing Mm -hmm. and then skillfully cooperate with his agenda. Amen. 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 And amen. Thank you for listening to A Day of Prayer. We trust the Lord that you are strengthened and encouraged in your relationship with Christ. 
If you have any questions, comments, a prayer request, or a praise report, please email us at adayofprayer at yahoo.com. You can also find A Day of Prayer on our website, adayofprayer.org, or Podbean at adayofprayer.podbean.com, where you can listen and download the latest teachings. And we're also on Facebook, A Day of Prayer 2018, where you'll find updates, information about upcoming events and seminars, and the latest topics of prayer that the Lord is speaking to us. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So until next time, take care and God bless you.